0: traveling the
1: vortex
2: we've joined the doctor as he travels the vortex and i have episode 447 where spooky time comes to an end i'm keith i'm sean
1: i'm glenn how are you guys Sad that we're ending Spooky Time.
2: Well, just remember, Spooky Time can live in your heart. That's right.
0: It I, is Halloween week, though. It is Halloween week. That timed out well, almost like we knew what we were doing. That's right. <laughs> like it was scheduled, almost. <laughs> and in
1: two days, <laughs> it will be Halloween.
0: <laughs> I like Halloween. Sorry. Yeah, you, see, you, you, you see opportunity and, and, and joy. I see deadline. <laughs> <laughs> deadline
1: for what oh well my, my minecraft your, project your the mind, movies yeah, i've got to watch right, you know that's right well uh, again halloween, halloween can town, live on halloween town is coming together well see but after on november 1st i've got the yeah, he switches to christmas that's, that's, right. Right. that's and I, right and i've got the minecraft craft crew headed to christmas area to build that area up. we get two months to i'm do saying that. his
0: movies can continue on after yeah, they, they can i can't watch scary movies if it's not halloween <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not pretty, spooky time keith
2: it's always spooky time if you try hard
1: enough.
0: Yeah. Mm, no. What'd you get watched this week? Other than our homework? Um, I'm surprised I, you had time for anything after yeah, we did you, three films this week. There, there, there wasn't much. I watched Replicas, which um, I thought was going to be more of a spooky time movie than it, than it really was. Uh, which was Kind of like a couple of our homework <laughs> movies. Mm, we'll save our comments for later. <laughs> um, I went out and saw The New Adams Family, which was very cute. And very, very tied into the TV show, which was which was I thought kind of cool that they hmm. kind of went back to the roots, as it were. They, well,
1: is it tied into the TV show or is it tied into Adam's original comics? That's New, fair. New I've, Yorker I've, comics because, because I, artwork looks a lot. like I, the, Which it, the it's comics. definitely more like the yeah you know, the the New Yorker comic uh, panels, but which probably is why it feels more like the TV series because the TV series would, was a lot closer. it was it was yeah and it was based on the comic uh, panels
0: I've not read a lot of the comics but I do remember the series and I mean just having the lion roaming yeah. around was kind of yeah. A, oh yeah but there's a there's a snap along <laughs>
1: <laughs> well that would be definitely yeah inspired so, by the TV series
0: there there's there's some very very cool moments it's not the greatest but it just it was just cute uh and then uh as far as the kind of older stuff goes um
1: any other universal monsters this week
0: didn't get to any more of the universal monsters i think i'm gonna have to to put the pin in that what else did we watch we watched a couple other new ones but yeah it didn't uh not too much in the we, we, we watched zombie land in preparation for going to see the second one i think we're gonna go try and see it tomorrow i went and saw the second one How was it
2: it was pretty good a lot of fun it's uh it's more of the same. It's nothing, you know, new or met groundbreaking. But if you enjoyed the first Zombie Land movie, you're going to enjoy this one. There's some nice, good, tongue-in-cheek moments about itself and the zombie genre. But it was really enjoyable. It was a lot more fun than I thought it would be.
1: What did you do? Fun win?
2: popcorn movie.
1: I went to the uh, uh, KDHE uh, Haunted Lab. That and, was the and, other thing I did and missed and missed <laughs> Keith <laughs> entirely. <laughs> Well, I texted him throughout the day. You know, is it free? Yeah. Oh, You know, don't close it because we're going to be coming by. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then we go. And it was, actually, Holly came too. So it was me, Mason, and Holly. We got up there. And um, I told Mason, I said, you know, because he, he went through Project Terror and was, in fact, Holly went through Project Terror with him and didn't think that he would ever want to do a haunted house again <laughs> after that experience because he was just so freaked out about it. And this was his first year to do Project Terror. And so when he went, we went up there. You know, she explained to us that you know if you want to be jump scared, and he said, "Yeah, I think so." <laughs> and Holly and I were like, "What?" <laughs> and he goes, "Yeah, that's fine." So she gave us the glue sticks or not glue sticks, <laughs> glow sticks, and said, "You know, break right. break them if you don't want to, but don't break them if you if you do." And of course, nobody. I don't. I, no, we didn't. Nobody jumped out. Anyway, I think anymore. at that
2: point most people were kind of
1: done. Yeah, <laughs> I did like the uh, the the one that was doing the. Uh, um, Scarecrow against oh, the wall. Yeah. They had that really good because they did a good gl- job. With was it a, that. That a girl? Yeah. She'd just glide along there, and I was like, "Wow, that was impressive how she did that." But, um, but we were we were just immensely impressed with you, you guys how you how well you did it. It 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 completely holds up against any any sort of yeah, obviously not the big you know Kansas, Kansas City, City or ones, Universal yeah. Studios, or, but it, it it holds a candle to anything else here in in uh, Topeka. Just as far as, as atmosphere, and well, you and, don't have to do much with that part yeah, of the building. That's true, <laughs> but, but just your all the little displays that you had, and all. I mean, it was we we were thoroughly impressed. We walked through it. We got we got done there. Holly said, "Well, I'm almost sad that was free. <laughs> just, <laughs> I just, I'd have paid for that."
2: Well, we did have a donation bucket out. Yeah. Oh, but, did you? I did yeah. see.
1: Oh, well, see, I would have given you some money too. So. Yeah, we were very happy with the turnout. They were just those... Because uh, you had some pretty simplistic stuff and you had some pretty high-tech stuff in there, which...
2: Yeah, uh, most of it. The only things that we purchased were the glow sticks and the black lights that went into the light fixtures in the ceiling. Oh, yeah, everything yeah. else was donated okay, or staff supplied or staff built. We tried to tie everything into what we did as a lab or at least... In the main core of the, the haunted area. So we had a uh, room for a harmful algae blooms because we test for that. Uh, and a, ra- a graveyard of eradicated diseases where zombies are kind of starting to come back because, you know,
1: mumps is coming back
2: and measles.
1: And, and stuff. They, had, they literally had, like, tombstones for each one of them, like the mumps, they, measles. They glowed,
2: and, yeah, yeah. You could see zombie feet sticking out of it. We had a, a nursery that was kind of haunted for our newborn screening area. Uh, a Zika forest where, you know, cause we tested for, we test for Zika maze and all sorts of different stuff. It was, it was a lot of fun, and a lot of hard work. It was a lot of fun. So hope next year we're going to do it again. Um, and pretty much every year until we get a new building. All right. Well, should we move on to news? One big piece of news. We knew information was coming, but now we know Fury from the deep is going to get an animated release.
1: That was the big announcement at uh, London Comic Con. Complete with a mini teaser. Yeah. Wasn't much of a teaser. No, it really wasn't. But it was still exciting.
0: Check it out. Here's our logo. (laughs) (laughs) And look,
1: stuff seeping under doors. Seeping under doors and some (laughs) piping.
0: I can't tell you how excited I am that the stuff seeping under doors looked like foam bubbles Mm -hmm. in in, in totally keeping with the Patrick Troughton era well I'm sure
1: that that's what it looked like in that particular episode too I know but
0: even if it didn't
2: (laughs) this connects a couple of stories that we have or have reconstructions for so I'm really excited about that aspect of it I agree
1: and this will be uh well spoilers this is Victoria's last story so
2: oh yeah that's right very cool yeah I'm very excited 2020 At some point, no firm date yet. But after...
0: I'm going to say October.
2: (laughs) After The Faceless Ones comes out.
1: And just for... uh, So listeners are aware, we are aware that there is a rumor about a possible movie, but I think we're going to pass on that right now until there's a little more validity into that one.
0: I don't know. Probably the the...
1: same source as the last
2: time there was... This rumor. Did you, did you actually read the article? I did. Um, yeah.
0: the, the source, quote unquote, that they, they kept naming. Man, they were sure right about everything else that they had. They were but right. They, but the, here's They were the right thing. about
1: those things. Exactly. What were they wrong about? That's the problem I have with it. That, yeah, we were right. Hey, look at our track record. We were right about these five things, but they don't tell you the 20 things that they missed. So that's why yeah.
0: I still... Talking oh, up the oh, room. Dude, we could do that. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> I mean, exactly. You, That's you, my point. You, you we just we we'll go just back made to, his point. We we'll <laughs> just
1: go back to Jamie's uh, emails where he was where he's pointing out stuff that we actually got right, and we'll just put that all into one thing. Look how often
0: we were well, right. Well, you just, oh, I'm still touting the ho- uh, Higgs boson. I mean, we we we, we nailed it. Yeah. a week, man. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I think our track record is pretty good. I'm not going to go into the, well, you said so-and-so was going to be the villain of the season, and they weren't. Eh, <laughs> we don't talk about those. Just just count the successes.
1: Anyway, there's rumor out there that there's a movie in the works. So, A standalone, stand-alone separate, movie.
2: separate movie. I guess we could discuss, although I'm sure we did the last time this came up, if we would be interested in said movie.
1: Well, I... I I'd go see it. I don't think it's necessary. I agree. That's what I, it comes down to. If somebody wants to do it, all, you know, all power to them. Um, the Cushing films got made. They're enjoyable for what they are. And, and if somebody did it, I can't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rail against it because I mean more Doctor Who, that's, that's fine. You know, somebody put their little stamp on it, but it wouldn't feel like it wouldn't to me be connected at all. Mm-hmm. And, it wouldn't be Doctor Who in in pure essence, because even that with the the Cushing films, I feel that way. You know, they're 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 fun, quirky films um, that have Daleks, which is totally exciting for me. But they're not Doctor Who, so. right? Yeah,
0: I think uh, our friend Chris Miller commented best when he said, "CGI Peter Cushing is tanned, rested, and ready for this." <laughs> <laughs> I'd be all on board for that. <laughs> I would too, actually. <laughs> Because weren't, weren't we supposed to get a trilogy of, of Cushing films? Wasn't there always meant to be a planned third one that just never materialized? I believe that's
1: right, yeah. Uh, uh, I want to say Dalek Master Plan was in
0: that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Terry Nation yeah. would have liked for there to have been a third <laughs> one. <laughs>
1: All right, well, let's move on to feedback.
0: Feedback is Jamie. Hello, Vortexers. Before I get into episodes, I'd like to return to my explanations of the factors leading up to the first Doctor's regeneration from my previous letter. What I forgot to mention was that the Doctor was also caught in the effects of the time disruptor in the Dalek's master plan. These three events, coupled with the drain from Mondas, make the regeneration a sure thing from an in-universe standpoint. That's a valid point that I hadn't thought of that in coupling with... Um...
1: Well, I think we, we when we just recently discussed... Um man maybe I just read that I thought we brought that up when we were just when we were um reviewing dalek master plan we had brought up that that was one of the things they attribute to the grow uh growing- uh,
0: wearing a bit thin wearing a bit thin yeah. thank you
1: yeah I think either I read that while we were doing that and then forgot to bring it up on the on the podcast or um I brought it up and we've forgotten so.
0: You may have brought it up, and I forgot what because it, I forget all the things. Well, I guess things, it was but...
1: was it last summer we did that?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So then, episode one fifty six, the time machine, and the epic finale to Destiny of the Doctor. I haven't listened to this one. I've listened to all the other ten, but not this one. This was the only one my library wasn't able to get at the time. I know it's weird, a big finish, more than a few years old that I haven't heard yet, but that's the way it goes. Sounds like it was okay as a story, but without the big info dump at the end, it doesn't work well as a series season finale. The Eleventh Doctor. This was my Doctor, and I was fortunate enough to meet him in the Eleventh Hour. I like him, don't get me wrong, despite the fact that others have supplanted him as my favorite. He's fun, goofy, a bit weird, and he's just fun to be around, and he too has a dark side. Describing him here, it sounds similar to how I described the Tenth Doctor, and yet they're two very different people. This was a Doctor where I either loved or hated the episodes. Rewatching some of the ones I didn't care for might bring some new appreciation. Series 5 was mostly really good and was followable plot-wise in its series arc. Cracks in the wall, TARDIS explodes caused them. Simple. It was after this that we got Moffat's confusing arcs. What is this Doctor's defining episode? What's the episode that nails down who this Doctor is? I'd have to say maybe Eleventh Hour and Beast Below. Or maybe The Snowmen or Time of the Doctor. All of them run the gambit of the fun 11 to the dark 11. Episode 157 and The Time of the Doctor. I enjoyed this one, though the stuff with Clara's family is a little on the meh side for me. I did really enjoy the ending, especially the never tell me the rules bit. It's a shame, though, that it took another two years to get the resolution for the Gallifrey arc, and we hadn't seen anything of Gallifrey since. Overall, Time of the Doctor is a worthy end to the 11th Doctor's run, tying up most of the dangling loose ends. It also works well as a Christmas special, though I admit it would be nice to have the regeneration be a surprise again, or have an adventure that's a good Doctor Who story that he just happens to regenerate at the end of, instead of having the regeneration be the focus and the story built up around it. Episode 158, Planet of the Giants. I enjoyed this one, but it wasn't a favorite. The sets were very well done, and the squishing together episodes 3 and 4 into one episode really helped the pacing immensely. Otherwise, it's just your average early, experimental Who story. A big hand for the Doctor. I remember reading this when it came out in print form as opposed to the original ebook, and I thought it was okay, but that's about it. I don't remember much. As for the girl who loved Doctor Who, it looks intriguing, but it's not one I've actually read. Episode 159 and the start of the E-Space Trilogy. First, Sean, you guys talked a lot about Man of Steel, especially the destruction of Metropolis and his seemingly not caring attitude. Did Bat Soup help address the concern?
1: <laughs> you'll get there, You'll get Jamie. there. That's you'll all we're going to say is we'll, you'll get there.
0: <laughs> more, more on that later, Jamie. Renaissance Man. Just recently listened to this one and enjoyed it. I got a bit more of the witty fourth doctor vibe off of this one, and when he bares his teeth, you can really feel it. Unlike you, I didn't feel it dragged at all in the middle, and I had a really good time with it. Full circle. I didn't mind this story found it enjoyable. The set design looks rather well done. The plot is decent, and really, for an introductory story for Adric, it's not terrible. Really, the problem is Adric. As a character, the idea of Adric as an artful dodger is an intriguing one, and you do get to see it a little bit in the opening episode of *Legopolis* when the police show up in the phone booth. The problem is that that particular idea was quickly forgotten, and Adric quickly became a whiny, entitled math nerd who would betray the Doctor at the drop of a hat if he felt it would benefit him. Both these aspects of Adric have since been done much better. Turlow as the untrusty betrayer, and Thomas Brewster as the artful dodger. I think the biggest problem I have with Adric isn't the material, although that's part of my dislike for the character, but rather with the actor. Matthew Waterhouse can't act, or at least there are plenty of times when it seems that way. He tends to be wooden and lacks any kind of charisma. His possession, hypnosis, and state of decay doesn't seem much different from normal Adric, except he isn't whining. I've heard or read stories of Waterhouse on set, and, well, they're not good. On the other hand, though, your companion potential quiz for Adric was hysterical. Can we have more of these for other companions, please? You know, it's funny, but after meeting... I don't think it
2: works for other companions, because, you know, they (laughs) usually have potential.
0: (laughs) (laughs) After meeting Matthew Waterhouse, I still feel vaguely bad that we did that. Uh, Finally, episode 160, The Wrath of the Iceni. I remember this being good and a nice character piece for Leela. Leela on audio, I think, is the most prominent 4th Doctor companion these days. I like Leela and think she's gotten some excellent growth. However, I'm actually getting tired of her and glad that Big Finish is creating brand new companions for Tom, although I haven't heard any of them as I'm a bit behind. State of Decay, the one that makes vampires the mortal enemy of the Time Lords. It's not a terrible story. It has decent production values. Apart from the issues with Adric and my not caring for vampires in the first place, it was a fairly enjoyable story. You joke about Big Finish doing a whole season in each space. Well, I think it's been announced now as a fourth Doctor season, (laughs) and the fifth Doctor got a trilogy in the main range. And that gives me just one more thing I'd like you to consider. Has Doctor Who run out of ideas? The show's been around for 56 years, and has produced a multitude of TV stories, novels, comics, short stories, audio adventures, and even a few video games. I've read reviews that complain Big Finish relies solely on nostalgia these days, and that even some of their best writers are phoning it in some of the time. And I do agree that Big Finish seems to be utilizing the same handful of writers for everything. So my question is, has Doctor Who as a whole run out of ideas, which I'm not entirely sure it has, or does Doctor Who need an infusion of new writers to help extend its life well into the future? That's it for now. Really enjoying the show. Keep up the good work. Jamie,
1: I think there's always a need for new writers there is uh, I think though the 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 problem we run into is the reason why th- things start to feel formulatic and and used ideas get reused. I think is there is a certain amount of comfort for fans in we talked a little bit about this about what makes a Doctor Who episode but um, in one of his previous feedbacks but um I think. W- the powers that be, the showrunners uh, or the audio uh, playrunners uh, for Big Finish, they find themselves in this kind of catch-22 of if you get too creative, then fans kind of holler, oh, that's not Doctor Who. It doesn't feel like Doctor Who. But if you don't do something creative enough, then people say, well, you're getting stagnant and you're doing the same thing over. And so I think there's this fine line that they, they, they tend to maybe even err on the side of caution and not do too much experimental type stuff or or thinking out of the box kind of things. And when they do, sometimes you know, we 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 admit we're, we're very much wowed by them when they do them right. Um but I think they've get a lot of pushback from fans uh that they're they're a little skittish to try new things or you know, or or venture out into new writers that might change things. I mean, look at Lucasfilm. They're in this quest to keep everything feeling like star wars and so they've you know basically paired back I mean, the, the um, game of thrones guys i just oh, heard yeah. today are, are, are no longer on a on a uh, star wars project and i think it, it's coming down to the fact that you know lucasfilm is, is kind of clamped down on any any creativity outside of what feels like star wars and i think doctor who maybe uh with big finish and, and even the bbc suffers a little bit of that as well
2: I could see the complaints about Big Finish suffering from that. I don't think the TV show itself does at all. But Big Finish also has so much material that if things are dipping back into wells that you're not liking, there's other sources that where you can go. I mean, look at the main range. tends to not do these sort of gimmicky sort of things, whereas special Fourth Doctor box set series is so i mean i think there's there's both in the big finish world
0: and we just commented recently if i remember correctly that big finish had crossed the threshold of producing more hours of doctor who than there is doctor who Mm -hmm. um and and so that's That's kind of been a while back i think that's an interesting problem i think for them to have is how do you how do you churn out that much and still keep it fresh and um I think, you know, certainly there's uh, that comfort zone of having your go-to people, um, whether it's for the television or for Big Finish. If you have a, uh, um, oh, what's his name, Justin Richards or, you know, some of these people that you're like, well, yeah, I know that I can put together a, a good episode. And, you know, the TV show did the same thing. Oh, I, I know Bob Baker can turn in something that that we can film. Oh, we'll go to uncle Terrence and he'll write us uh, an invasion story. And so you saw a lot of the same type of episodes. I mean, we've even labeled them. Oh, this is a base under siege. Oh, this is the monster of the week, or this is a, uh, you know, so on and so forth. And so, yeah, there's some of that tropiness to it. Um, but is the show out of ideas? I don't think so. I, I think it just, I mean, when, <laughs> as the doctor says all of time in space, I mean, there's no way you can run out of ideas it's just a question of how you utilize them and so that i think comes down to the showrunners and the people involved if you have a particular group of individuals that are you know big fans of a certain era you're probably going to see them dip into that and maybe pull some of those vi- villains back or uh you know uh, do homages to styles um or stories of that era and so it probably feels a little bit familiar and there's a lot of fan service out there that uh, you know, gets us excited in some regards, but yet can feel like, well, you're going back to the well there um and then sometimes you do a story that's, oh look, it's all found footage, and we go, mm, <laughs> because it's new and unusual, and we don't like that kind of thing. We like our fan service, so even
2: still, like with big finish, they may dip back into the well for a villain or a setting, but they will do something different in the story. It's not like. Kind of power of the Daleks and victory of the Daleks, where the storylines are very similar, and the settings are a little different. Usually, it'll be, you know, this box set and Espace will have a completely different, you know, stories from the actual Espace trilogy from television. So I don't, I don't, I don't think it's the same argument.
0: I think it depends too on on the villain. I mean, yeah. realistically, there are many Dalek stories that are essentially the same Dalek story there are many Cybermen stories that are essentially the same Cyberman story and it's just because that's their MO the master is another one that's very guilty of that and it's just well that's kind of the template that was set up so when that particular villain returns you wind up falling into that particular trap and every now and then you get one that breaks free and does something completely different you go whoa that was cool and every now and then you get one that breaks free of that template, and you go, "No, that did not work at all." So, but at least they tried. You can go both ways with it.
1: And Jamie, I will call your attention to um, uh, Sean's review very much. So then uh, on Bat Soup, um, <laughs> in uh, episode two ninety one, which I know you're still about a hundred episodes away from that, but uh, we we actually discussed Bat Soup, but. We decided that the episode got way too long, so what we did is we lifted that out and we created a side trip number twenty-one, Bat Soup. And uh, so, if you want to, without you know, ruining anything for you with the episodes, you can skip ahead and go, to, or skip over to side trip number twenty-one, and we've isolated the um, Bat Soup review. <laughs> so they find everything you want to know about what Sean thought about Bat Soup. All right, well, let's move on to our reviews
2: midnight at madame tussauds explorer clive sir clive bets that he can spend the night alone in madame tussauds chamber of horrors meanwhile crooks hope to exploit <laughs> his ward carol for her fortune
0: you're a little more like ted knight meanwhile because <laughs> that's very much what it felt like <laughs> It's like the first, Not a lot of Madame
2: Tussauds in the story. Well,
0: the first 20 minutes felt like a commercial for the place. It was like, this is all the stuff that we've got, and here's our Egyptian wing, and over here we've got... The... It's like, oh, man, this is like a travel log. There's all kinds of stuff. And then somewhere along the line, we forgot that's where we were going. And then went back at the end. And went back at the end.
1: That's what I liked about it. It bookended really nicely. You know why the the first part's a tr- commercial travel log. it's because madame tussauds actually helped co-finance this film so
2: I, I, <laughs> that makes was, a lot of sense yeah.
0: i was going to guess that there may have yeah. been some financial compensation at stake and if but... it
1: wasn't financial compensation they uh they certainly uh, uh, provided the location and and well yeah, there's a big placard at the beginning uh, if you'll notice this is a, a filmed in conjunction with madame tussauds in london so
0: which I guess does create kind of an interesting, uh, I read um, one of the interesting historical contexts of this film is the fact that there was a fire uh, that uh, destroyed, or maybe it was in the in the war. There was a good chunk of Madame Trousseau's that was destroyed, and a lot of the waxwork figures don't exist anymore other than this footage of them mm. that was shot for this film. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of an interesting... Yeah.
1: Um, it probably was during the war. Yeah.
0: Interesting bit of stuff there. Um, I hate to, to say this, but I thoroughly enjoyed the middle segment about the crooks and the reporters and the heiress much more than the bit <laughs> with the, 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 the explorer staying in the museum. I, I, I kind of thought this was, a, this was a fun movie. I would have liked to have seen all of this one. And the other one was kind of like, eh, I, I could have dealt without it. <laughs>
1: Well, it, you're making it sound like it was two parts of a whole. It, it's not. It, it's All of it has to do with each other, right down to the fact that you had that little plot in the middle. I mean, it's all an extortion... Not extortion well, it, it's all a theft So, So what it feels that, like
2: is they said, okay, we've got this great theft story going on. Uh, how can we get this movie made? Uh, Madame Tussauds will pay some money. Let's set part of it there and tie the story in that way.
1: Wow. No, this was... That's, that's what, what it feels like to me. It, what, okay, it, I'm, I'm, I'm me it feels very much crafted in the in the the whole kind of uh, thriller genre of the day. I mean, I, I I'm I'm going to come out right now and say it. I loved this film. I'm so glad I bought this. This movie, <laughs> it, it is so much fun. Yes, I'm I, glad that you. Are I, glad I, that I you enjoy the this. middle part. I I love the fact that we've got the I. That's what I like about it. Is the framing of it. It's done so well. It's set up at the very beginning. That this explorer is going to Madame Tussauds to see his likeness that they've just created. And the uh, only thing that was weird was the creepy uh, artist that when he's pretty normal upstairs and then we get in the Chamber of Horrors, I thought, oh, OK, this guy is up to something, you know, <laughs> it had nothing to do with him and all. But um, uh, which would have been a completely different movie. But regardless, it, it, and the 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 bet is set up at the beginning of the film that, you know, if if you can spend the the night in Madame Tussauds. I mean, and this guy's, you know, he's I don't say he's a gambling man, but he's he's a risk taker and that's he, you know, this well sure, this is just wax, so I can do that. So it sets that up nicely for this m- middle chunk of we learn that the there this the the one guy that's his his friend has lost all of this money and he's trying to get it out of this guy without him knowing by Setting up this whole plot of the guy romancing his daughter and and, and trying to get the money that way, and then the the uh, uh, reporter stumbling across this, and and just really kind of the folly and the the mix up that kind of leads to the demise, which pushes the friend to utilize. I mean, he, he that that's the the, the, the I, can't, I wish I could remember the um, was it Charles was that the guy that was the bad the end up being the bad guy in the end i I loved his development of character from beginning to end on how you could it, his desperation pushing him to the point of the fact that he's just going to it's a very 1930s idea but he's going to shoot Sir Clive he's gonna kill him and then he's gonna walk out with his face and get away with it because he'll have put the mask on from the thing I thought it was a brilliant setup because you had to have that um, absolute uh, spiral into desperation that is what that middle piece does to bring us back around first full circle to oh well there's this the, the, the convenience of the fact that this bet has been made he knows where it's going to be and he's able to contrive this plan because he doesn't he doesn't have this plan at the beginning when the bets made he contrives this plan somewhere in between the fact that their plan is spiraling out of control they no longer have, uh, you know, plan A or plan B even in place because everything's falling apart, thanks to these two meddling reporters who... who it's almost unintentional, too, for these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, it, If the one guy had not just completely connected something that i've I've seen this guy's face before i know this somewhere this connects you know i mean of course there's a lot of that whole they they, they delve into that mythos of reporter instinct and that kind of thing which i, I think sort of exists but not to the level that they can portray well, in, these, yeah. in these old black and white films but um but then to, to scope it in there and have his you know complete desperation by the end to concoct this plan that's perfectly set up for him in order to go in and try to take out Clive at, at the end, and and get his money that way, I think that was that was great. I think it would it's it's structured in such a nice way that it doesn't feel like two parts of a story. The re- I think the reason it does is because we're meant to set midnight, at Madame Tussauds. So we're meant to set up. This is this is you know this isn't House of Wax. This isn't you know. I museum. went in is expecting it, something that's like just that. it and I think I our ex, our expectations are too high especially when we're putting this in framing it around uh you know we're doing horrors yeah. and thrillers and stuff like this this is not a horror film it's, it's a thriller suspense but there's a lot in the middle that's not thrill. Well, it is. It's a crime but there's, drama mystery. Yeah, well, I, I would agree with that as well. Well, but I think you, I don't know if I'd put thriller. In I that. think you could add thriller to it because of the the atmospheric elements on the bookends of it. I think that's what makes that partial a, a, thriller a thriller as well. Sure, but so that's why I think it's it's a it's a cleverly done done film, and. Maybe I was able to get past the fact that it's, you know, it it wasn't what maybe we expected going into it, but they crafted a much better movie than I expected out of it. So I liked it. I really, really liked this. film.
0: I will say that. I I understand where you're coming from, and I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I disagree with you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Don't get me wrong. I liked I liked the movie. I I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it much more than I thought I was going to. Um, I have no background information going into this. So kind of like Keith, we're doing spooky time. I have to rely on your knowledge of what you have brought to the table. (laughs) And you threw a bunch of films in here. It was like, well, these are horror films. We're going to do these. Well, no,
1: no, 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 no. I'm going to stop you right there. Because when we started this endeavor... I listed, these are the ones that are horror. You did. Then we had to kind of fudge some of these. And, in fact, this was the one that I said, it's not even really a, a horror thriller. It's more of a mystery film. You did. You, I, you, I, I you, framed you, it You warned us in
0: around. advance. But with the name, Midnight at Madame Trousseau's. Yeah, now I'll give you that. And, and with the setup of creepy artist in the basement with oh, the yeah. Chamber of Horrors, I'm expecting more of, not not necessarily even a horror film, but just it very much felt like it was going in one direction. And then the brakes were put on and we stopped to go deal with a separate plot that only peripherally tied in mm-hmm. because of the one, uh, Charles or whatever his name was, because of the one bad guy that this happened to be his plot and he was going to embezzle this money out from underneath the, the the niece, the heiress, so that he could repay Sir Clive the money that he borrowed from him that Sir Clive didn't know that he borrowed. so he he's, he stole a bunch of money from the from the Explorer and then wanted to pay him back by stealing more money from him. that was his that was his overall that was well, his grand yeah. plot. It's like uh... I don't even know if I got that. that.
1: that's a simplified version of it. I but mean, you're, I think, you're
0: you're covering up your crime well, well, is what you're on. doing.
1: Yeah, it, 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 he didn't steal the money from from Clive in the first place. He didn't steal it.
0: He borrowed it, without telling
1: no, him. He didn't. It was a bad investment, is what it was. He took. He was told to invest this money.
0: That's what he told Clive. And
1: he no, this is he. The, that's where that's that's all laid out because in fact when he's checking the tickers, that's the that's more of the bad news that's coming in he was supposed to make this investment for sir clive that was going to make them both a lot of money so he's collecting on the on the front end of this not on the back end uh, yeah
0: but see the impression that i got was that when, when he goes in to explain to sir clive what happened to the money and he's begging for more time and sir clive is like who are these people it, it's almost like clive did not know i, I am convinced no, I that he don't he did not know anything about the now the guy went to make the investment and was going to make some money off of it Yes. But I think he would have made the money, repaid Sir Clive the $15 million or 1000 whatever it was that he borrowed, and kept all of the profits because Clive was not involved in this investment. He just took money from somebody that could afford it to go invest on what he saw was an opportunity. Well,
1: you you can say that's what you think happened, but that's not what's stated in the film. The statement in the film is the fact that he was investing this money, and he made a bad investment, and he ended up losing a lot more of it than he expected that's to lose. Yes, I absolutely agree with that, that's, but no but point That's not time. stealing. that's not stealing money. That's making a bad investment. But If I borrowed
0: $15 from you to go invest it at the casino because I was going to make fifteen thousand and didn't tell you about it. I stole money from you. (laughs) He did. He knew
1: that's my point is Clive knew that the investments were being made. But he trusted this guy who's been his friend and his broker for X number of years to go in and make this thing. And and through a series of connecting with the wrong people, Nick made a bat was it Nick or was it the other guy? Harry. I think it was Nick. Uh, no, uh, Nick was the fiance. Harry makes this this investment and it goes south. It at some point it goes really south because he's connected with these guys. But he can't tell Clive that because now the only his biggest guilt is the fact that he's hiding it from him and he feels guilty about the fact that it happened. But he's lost so much so he's concocted this way of now he's going to steal the money through the the niece in order to pay him back to save face it wasn't even so much right. so that he would be able to you know be rich in fact it's the it's the the two uh uh the the fiance and his girlfriend that you know because they're part of this they're going to make a little bit of money on this as well because they're going to end up splitting what they're taking yeah. from but but harry's really going to end up giving most of all that money that he the bad investment and then some over that back to clive i still get the idea that they're friends now that kind of does dive diverge into the fact that he decides that he's going to kill this guy at the end but i think he felt so bad and then clive was uh sir clive was you know berating him for him when he finally does go to admit to him and he wants all the receipts back in the morning and, and i think that's at that point that clive Realized that he's going to be found out that he's made a lot of bad investments on behalf of other people, and I think that i'm presupp- presupposing here, but I think he doesn't <coughs> he doesn't want to be found out that his investments have been you know bad. From the, from the get-go and that's why he's pushed to kind
0: of go see to my mind that that so. that's a larger leap than just assuming that clive didn't know about this particular investment that because can, he's the you broker, you can say
1: that clive didn't know but clive did know because the movie said he did that's the, mu- the, the movie problem.
0: no 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 the movie did not say that clive it, it knew until t- he went to go see him no no that was and, the first in indi- the
1: museum he says how's that investment going the but, and he says he, they were supposed to get it the next day, and he says, "Well, no, I, I, it's it's going to be a little while he, longer." You the know, money that you owe play me, out.
0: <clears throat> right? Th- that's, From the that's investment the thing. that he made. I see. Again, I I think you're reading way too much into it. I, I think <coughs> the, the the pieces that are presented, both in the museum and when Harry goes to to confront or to yeah, own up to it later, uh, in no way, shape, or form does any of that. Way, Captain's <laughs> rubbing off my microphone. Get. Um, None of that comes together in such a way that makes me believe that he's been up front with Clive about any of it. Mm -hmm. Clive may know about the investment because he begrudgingly had to let him in on some of it. Clive may know that you know he he doesn't know who these people are he doesn't know who these the investments with he has no knowledge of any I of that agree and with it, that. the only bits of information that he gets out of him are the well it's going to take me a little bit longer to get the money back there's this thing it's coming and then later it's dude these were unreliable people they stiffed me and you're kind of screwed on it that's where it comes from but at no point in time did any of the information in either of those scenes tell me. Clive was okay with this. Clive gave the guy money because of him being the broker and didn't know what happened to it. Right. And, and he it, was expecting it to come back. You're 100% that's where say, it went.
1: you're 100% saying what I said. What I'm arguing against is you're saying that Clive stole this money from him and then wasn't going to give it back. That's what I'm saying is Clive knows that the money is being used for something. He doesn't know what it is, he doesn't know who it's with. He doesn't but he knows there's an investment being made. That's that's simply told there in that right. scene between them my point is is that harry never stole the money from the guy in the first place he either borrowed it for the investment on something and was going to pay it back or but it was all above the board it was all straight and narrow so going back to what you said in the in the at least with clive on the on the perception of that clive was aware that the money was being used by the broker for something that's my point is so it's never been st- he's not st- back to your argument against it he's not stealing money and then giving the guy his money back he's not stealing it in any way that's my point.
0: well but if you're a broker and you make a bad investment you made a bad investment yes that that's that comes with the territory but if you are responsible to the point where you are stealing from the boss in order to repay the boss, that's a different situation. That's not a dude, we lost out on that one. We'll get it on the no, next time. I know and that's I mean what there's I, a whole I,
1: again, you're
0: agreeing with me.
1: My <laughs> point is the initial setup is not theft. The theft is on the back end of this to pay him back.
0: Okay. I, I, apparently, I misspoke when I said he stole money, and then is stealing money to repay what he stole. Okay, there you go. Is that, is that what makes you happy? Okay, me, that's what makes me happy. The, the the bottom We're line. On the same page now. The, the bottom line is that I, you know, I liked the movie. I genuinely did like the movie, but plot A, which is the somebody else entirely who is not Harry, <laughs> makes this bet about the explorer staying in the museum at midnight. Ooh, creepy. I'll be fine. I just need a. I, I need a paper and a and an easy chair. i will you know. There, there's he's blowing it off like it's no big deal, and it's not, because then we spend the rest of the day chasing down this rabbit hole of yeah. this bad yeah. investment, and these other things, which are like I said, only really peripherally related through Harry's involvement with this and plot, and the fact that Clive's the one that's got the money, and then we get to the end. And it bookends back with the first part very nicely. But realistically, the beginning and the end could have come right next to each other with like two lines of dialogue to explain why Harry was in the museum willing to kill him. And you wouldn't have needed anything in the middle. It's a separate film. It really feels like a complete, it's a B plot. It comes out of left field. Now, the B plot is just as enjoyable, if not more so than the A plot for me, I really dug these characters because it, it, if I don't know, it felt almost more like a screwball comedy at times, especially William Hartnell, who we need to get around talking about. (laughs) I I, I
1: think he's certainly the comic, the comic relief for this. particular film, And And that was typical, especially in the 1930s when a lot of these films were made is even in the crime dramas, they always had that role that was, you know, a little bit of the levity for, for what the rest of the story was. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about Billy Hartnell <laughs> as he's building this. <laughs>
2: he was almost
0: unrecognizable. Almost, yeah. he was he was very much so. I, I so was
2: young and energetic, and <laughs> <laughs> I was faced.
0: concerned at knowing that this was what, thirty years earlier than 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 what we'd seen in Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. I was really kind of concerned, like I may not even recognize him. <laughs> like I'm, I'm kind of banking on the fact that he will at least have some features that oh, there he is, or the sound of his voice or anything. But 30 years is 30 years. I mean, there's a lot of potential change there. And we got a good chunk of the way through Madame Trousseau's, and there was no Billy Hartnell. We got all of yeah of- I, I was just yeah. I-
1: I thought you meant you meant of this movie. Uh, I, this thought you movie. Meant, I thought you meant the, the Madame Tussauds part at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we, Adam, yeah
0: we, we get all the way through the first segment and he's not there, and we get into the B plot, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, he's in the he's one of the reporters. Okay, thank goodness I did recognize him. <laughs> I thought the same thing
1: as soon as I thought the same. I thought, Am I going to recognize him? Am I going to recognize him? Oh yeah, that's him. <laughs> this uh, we listened to something. I think it had the Sixth Doctor, and this has been so long ago, and I wish I had looked back before we did this. Uh, where there's a character, and I think uh, Jago and Lightfoot are in this uh, story as well, but there's a character in the story, and his name is Billy, and he is, the character in that story is modeled after I believe this character <laughs> in this, and that's why he's called Billy in the Doctor Who story the audio, is because they used Billy Hartnell from this particular mm. uh, uh, movie and modeled that character after him. Interesting. So, yeah. Um I think I brought that up in the uh, that I Doctor that Who sounds vaguely familiar. That Doctor, that remember that Doctor Who companion book that I have for the first you know seventy some stories. I think we found that in there when we were reviewing that story. So, hmm.
0: but uh, I, I thought he was I thought he was good. I saw a lot of um, the comedic timing from Carry On Sergeant that, that yeah. he's got, but much more physicality. Mm-hmm. than than what i was well he's um, 30 years younger <laughs> yeah uh, so, certainly more than i've ever seen from him he's, in
1: a, he's even at least 15 years younger from when he was in carry-on sergeant so he
0: uh you know almost rubbery i mean it, it was it was very um what kind of slapstick very kind of abbott and costello or, or oh, yeah. hardy with the way that his movements as they would drag him around and you know bounce him and then uh you know, they would go get a drink and <laughs> stiff the guy at the bar. I, there was a lot of humor to it that I thought was, was really fun.
1: It was one of the best parts of the movie. Yeah, no, I agree Well, with he that. and I think the other reporter. I really, really yeah. enjoyed Both him Both reporters as well. were yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. He just, the other guy just exuded charisma. It was so good.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But the Madame trousseau's part was kind of
2: meh. <laughs> <laughs> it needed more of the Madame trousseau's part, in my opinion.
0: If you're going to call at Midnight at Madame Trousseau's and not uh, the plot to steal the heiress's money, yeah, I agree with you. You should probably have some more Trousseau's in it.
1: All right, let's move on to our next one.
0: I, Monster.
2: In the 19th century in London, the psychologist Charles Marlowe researches a new drug capable to release inhibitions and uses his patients as guinea pigs.
0: Boy, are you right. I almost did not recognize Chris Trulli at all. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know who else I didn't
2: recognize? and I had to go back and look to see who it was. William Herndl? <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> Richard Herndl.
0: Richard uh, sorry, William. Richard Herndl. All right. Here. So <laughs> which one was he? Just so that I make sure I'm thinking it of He was the right. guy with the mutton chops. Okay, good. Yeah. I, I I got it right. And it was only through a couple of times when they were sitting there conversing that it was like, Dr. Lanyon, I believe. Well, that sounds like him, so I think maybe that's yeah, him. Yeah,
1: and it's kind of funny. Well, the first couple of times... Ta- now, the, the print we had was bad. The David That was, bad, was bad And I, I, I blame that a little bit. But the first two times he was on screen, I still was going, well, I wonder when uh, Richard Herndl's going to show up in this thing. And then it wasn't until the third time that we got a little closer, better look, and more in a brighter light, which helped a lot on that particular print, um, when I went, oh that's him and that's when it clicked and i was like okay i can see him he's he's a bit younger here but i could i mean he still looks old but uh he's he's not as he's not as weathered looking in this He's, yeah. he's a little more distinguished in this but uh, that's when i've zeroed in and went oh okay that is definitely him because lot thinner too he is not, not that this long. is what
0: yeah. 10 or 15 years early
1: this was been 70, this was 71. 72? 71
0: 71
2: 71 yeah. and he was in 83 so yeah.
0: yeah 12 yeah some ideas. years um now again maybe this is just a 12 years difference you mentioned the the, the wrinkle did I, I we know that he had the the hairpiece um to look like um or at least had his hair done to look like the first um, doctor the first doctor did he have a prosthetic as well I don't believe Because it one of the things that was throwing me was his nose did not look the same. Hmm. And it's funny
1: you say that because I looked at him a lot closer. Because I've always heard that story where and I don't remember who it was, but somebody said, Hey, have you look at have you ever looked at Richard Herndl He doesn't he look a lot like um uh William Hartnell. And that, that's where they got the idea to cast him as the first doctor in The Five Doctors. is based on this comment that somebody said that, that he looks like him. And I've always heard that, and I thought, I don't think he looks all that much like no. William, William Hartnell. I just don't think he does. And then in this particular story, I saw, in, in this movie, I saw a 45-degree angle of him, and I looked and I went, he does strikingly look like William Hartnell there. And so I wonder if it's a he looked a lot more like William Hartnell when he was younger. Now you have to you have to imagine without the mutton chops. The mutton chops right. were a huge distraction. <laughs> and, and the mustache. <laughs> but there's there is a almost near profile shot that I looked at him and I thought he does look like William Hartnell there. So I thought this time I thought no, I, I, in fact Almost to the point, and it's probably why it had to be the 45-degree angle, because I think he has heart, almost has the shape of Hartnell's nose. Well,
0: let's see. I think maybe it's the same shot that that's where I thought, oh, okay, yes, because that does look like... Because you got to remember, for the first, I don't know, however many years of my life, I didn't know that it was a different actor that played five <laughs> doctors, Because that's how oblivious <laughs> I was. But... Um, well,
1: we didn't have a lot of reference point back then. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah.
0: But um, going back and, and, and watching it, I think it was that shot that made me go because I recognized it as, oh, this guy kind of looks like Hartnell. I'll bet that's Herndel. You know, it was, was kind of where I went with it. But then seeing more of him in that shot later, that's better lit and everything, his nose didn't look right at all to me, which is why I wondered if it was. And again, maybe it was the mustache and the mutton chops because they were could be wildly very different different um but i I just wondered if they maybe had done something to augment his appearance even more for the five doctors versus uh i don't know maybe he wore a prosthetic in this i don't don't know (laughs) the whole mutton they had to have something to hold the mutton chops and the mustache on that's what it was (laughs) i enjoyed the movie though
1: did you it was pretty good I was a little just kind
2: of on par with most other the Hammer style yeah stories.
0: Um, that part was you know I I was okay with that aspect of it. I was just I was a little disappointed once I realized oh they're just doing Jekyll and Hyde. I don't know what didn't have I was the rights expecting. to do Jekyll and Hyde. That's what I
1: wondered about this is if you're going to put up on the you're going to change the names but you're going to put up on the very beginning of the screen based on a story by uh, Robert Louis <laughs> Stevenson. Why are you? Shy? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming Universal must have had the rights to Doctor right. Jekyll and Mister Hyde, Yeah. and that had to be why they changed the name. But why are you going to put based on a story by Robert? I mean, do you have to appease the estate of C- Robert? Credit Lewis where Stevenson credit is due, and you know, honor the copyright of of Universal. It just seems strange to me that they did that. But yeah, it's it's pretty much the Jekyll and Hyde story. It's to me, it was tedious. It was very tedious. It was very very predictable, probably because I know the Jekyll and Hyde story so well. Right. But there's not a lot of excitement or even thrills going on. Every once in a while you get the you get the attack on the on the prostitute, you get the uh the fight with the boy in the in the alley, which he doesn't end up slicing the kid's neck, which I thought he would. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they were building to that. It's that it, that suspense of the fact of what he was capable of. Um, we don't get to see him run over the little girl that is recounted in the story later um, by uh, Enfield. And my other problem with this is. Christopher Lee's not made up enough for me as a friend to not go. Well that's Dr uh, Marlowe. <laughs> I mean he just yeah, he that, wasn't that at least was in the universal bit. film, you know, they they really put the prosthetics on and they put the teeth in and he it, it, it did change.
2: See, but one of the things I did like about this uh, once you swallowed the, you know, disbelief of nobody recognizing him was the gradual Slow change that he went through. Yes, because yeah, it was not such a slow like process, went, and it yeah. built and built and built the deformity each time as he changed. So yes, I really like that. I agree with. And you. what what I found captivating about it is Christopher Lee's performance. That, yes, I I found him captivating the entire time.
1: Um, only when he was the Jekyll character, or the well, yeah, when he was when he was when he was it was like he it was almost like he was phoning it in. Well, and I think but that's when the he point. Was, well, yeah, and that's what made it contrast so much.
2: <laughs> and that's what made it so good <laughs> was the fact that he was when playing Marlowe. He was playing him so Victorian, and then you get to see him do that transformation into uh, Blake, Blake, and it's just there are times where I was thinking I was looking at a different actor between Blake and Marlowe. I, that's how good of a performance I thought it was between his performance and the makeup. I would I was, agree. I just he was his part of it was just phenomenal. Yes. Everything else was yeah. It's Jekyll and Hyde. That's kind of
1: tamed back a little bit. His Marlowe was mer- very much the father in the other uh, Amicus one, uh, House of Drip Blood. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very yeah, much very the same. similar. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, his 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 uh, Blake was was very convincingly different.
0: I agree that the the the, the Marlowe character was so reserved and and understated even when he's got women throwing themselves at him and and he's he's just kind of there through it but then once he begins to experiment and take the drug himself and the the, the first reaction is kind of silly and haphazard and then it gets darker and 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 the the turns become more pronounced and more outlandish as it goes that was the part of it that it was like, this is phenomenal, Christopher Lee, um, to see that kind of slide.
2: It's been a while since I've also watched, uh, and I don't think I've ever read the the novel, but watched the other versions of Jekyll and Hyde, and I also enjoyed the moral exploration that happens in this. You know how you look on the face of evil and it gets more disgusting as it goes, and what... It, that this drug brings out what's within you. I, I, I enjoyed all the moral and philosophical, 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 the philosophical, the philosophical <laughs> explorations in the film too. You're
1: putting the uh, wrong infances. Yeah. Wrong syllable.
0: Really that, that's another part that I liked was um, when he has the discussion with Herndl about the id and the superego and, and, and really kind of breaking down what this is. And you make those correlations between the animals that, you know, exhibited this characteristic versus... Uh, I, that, yeah. that I thought was kind of a cool element to it because uh, so often the Jekyll and Hyde story is just monster.
1: The universal version and is, Especially the universal. Yeah. I just say that the book is very much more exploratory in, in these themes, and that's what they tapped into.
2: I never finished the Moffat series, but it almost seemed that way also, that it was a snap and monster.
0: Speaking of fantastic acting.
2: Well, that's what I've heard. Alright, well, should we move on to our third one? Afraid of the Dark. An 11-year-old boy believes that his mother has been targeted by a serial killer who preys upon the blind. The young boy becomes obsessed with his mother's blindness and finding the serial killer who has eluded his policeman father. Oh, I was not impressed by this one. Nope. Atmosphere was pretty interesting. I was captivated for the first part and then got confused and lost interest.
0: I, I, will, I will... The the one thing that I will give this film is I think they very much succeeded in creating tension and, and, and putting that atmosphere of unease that just kind of ran throughout it it was it was off-putting and it was unsettling and i think they did a very very good job at that because of the subject matter they were dealing with beyond that there's not a lot of positive i can say for it glenn liked it i can tell already the way he's bought i didn't
1: i didn't like it but i didn't dislike it either it i i i agree exactly 100 percent with what you're saying about uh, the mood and the the unsettling um, atmosphere of it, and I think my problem is is that I I I think there's a deeper message or a deeper connection with the film than I can find, and that's the the thing I struggle with. It is because I found myself captivated from beginning to end. I didn't, unlike Keith, uh, become disinterested at any time in the movie. Um, I was caught very much by surprise with the the twisting middle where we, we yeah. kind of restart. And I found myself trying to guess what was happening, whether we were in the, the delusions of the boy's mind, which I think is where we land, but in a different way than maybe I was kind of seen uh, early on. Um, I'm not sure what the filmmakers here were trying what message they were trying to deliver though as far as I, I mean we're, I think we're supposed to take I think it's one of these films where we're supposed to step back and make draw our own conclusions but I don't think there was enough evidence for me to draw a conclusion I think it's a little too <sighs> loose the threads are too loose to, 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 to make a uh, a definitive decision of what was happening here and so and maybe that was the, the idea, was to leave a, bit, a little, little bit more of the mystery for you to, to sit and kind of ponder it, which is, th- that's the effect it's had on me, is I watched it, and I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the performances of everybody in the film. I thought everybody did a great job. Everybody on screen was, was a joy to watch. Not, not It wasn't enjoyable to watch them, but it, they were just, because they were all very, so very talented and very good. Mm-hmm. And... So there was a young David Sewell. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very, very young. And so it, it nothing, I was never taken out of or disinterested in the film, but after I was dumb, I just the dumb done. I kind of had this numb feeling of, I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to take away from this. And, and so, it, so I can't say that I disliked the film because I think there were enough positives to it in those areas but I can't say that that I love this or like this film even particularly because I'm not sure what to think about it. So that's where I land.
0: Keith.
2: Yeah. Uh, I was. I thought it was really captivating and interesting. Like I said, and then once once the twist kind of comes, I I was intrigued a little bit, and then things didn't really go anywhere like I thought it would, or felt like they were. Having the momentum that it started the movie with, and that's when I kind of started to lose my interest, I, and just became so conf- almost confusing that it was I wasn't sure what was real, what wasn't, and I, I, that might be what they were going for. And if that's the case, then they succeeded. They delivered, yeah. Um, it just the, I I agree with Glenn. The performances in it were phenomenal. The guy who played Lucas did a really good job. Uh Paul McGann was. Charming as always, even though in the fun part he was, you know, a killer. <laughs> um, but one of many. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just th-
1: I just don't know about it. In the first part, that is something that I really <coughs> liked, is I kept watching for telltale signs of who the, the slasher was, uh, down to the fact that when knowing that he hid under the bed, I, I watched very closely. They made sure to cut away from the stairs so we didn't see his head come up the stairs but i made very care i was very careful to watch mm-hmm. the 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 shoes you were looking shoes at shoes the rest of the movie what, weren't you? what uh what pants he had on and i thought okay that's how that's how we're gonna nail this down because and there were a couple other scenes where we saw you know sh- but the, the the they cleverly did it in the sense that Paul McGann, in the course of one day, and now I sort of know why, because I think all of this is set in the mind of in the delusions of this this kid, but um Paul McGann in the set of one day has two outfits. Um the, the woman, what was her name? <laughs> the one that ended up being the sister or <coughs> <coughs> stepsister. Was that Fan no, if uh, Fanny was the mom? Was, was it Lucy? Rose? Yes. Yeah. Uh, was Rose. It Rose. Rose or Lucy? One of those. Well, anyway, yeah, the gal, the blonde gal, um, she has a clothing change in the middle of the day. The dad, who's in the the police outfit, you never get a good shot of his feet, and they they did the thing where they telegraphed the uh, lighter that the dad had at the beginning when he comes home to tell the wife that the the woman had been slashed, that they'd found him. He's, he's delivering the message. Uh, he's sitting there, and he pulls out deliberately, pulls out one of these Zippo-type uh, lighters that does the click on the top. Mm-hmm. You hear that later when the woman inside the house that's chased home is attacked. You hear the lighter come, click open, and you see the flame, like he's lighting a cigarette or something. And so I went, "Oh, that—that—that's where they're going with it." And so I think they deliberately did that because, especially at the end, when he's <coughs> running with the baby, that Lucas is running with the baby, th- and you know, and I, that was the other thing is. I, I really felt like, oh my gosh, is he going to kill the baby? Uh, I mean, they set yeah. that up with the fact that he killed the dog, but is he going to? And I, but then I, I sort of rationalized that he really felt that he was protecting this baby, and that's why he had the thing. <coughs> and when all all of the guys are coming, all of the suspicious-looking characters that we got in the <laughs> beginning of the movie, all are coming with the uh, the the razors. I think they del- they intentionally did that to set us off at the beginning so we wouldn't say, mm-hmm. Oh, this one person is this. so that when they get to McGann and they do the reveal, you're like, oh, aha, he's he's the one. But he's not, because it's all the kids head. So
2: <laughs> I think part of it my my issue with it is I really enjoyed the slasher storyline and the mystery of it and was really I bought into that right away and found that fascinating. And then we dispatch it and move on with this other a little bit more humdrum, mundane story that I wasn't as interested it's in. It's
1: sort of a bait-and-switch there that's yeah. a bit frustrating. It is. Yeah.
0: And, and I think part of my problem is that I didn't buy into the Slasher story. It was... <coughs> there There were just too many little things that didn't add up for me. That I It, it put me off that I knew something was not right. Starting with... Half the town is blind. <laughs> I understand that we're at a center for the blind, and so obviously that's where all the blind people are going to be. But every person in this movie, the, the, you know, we start off the mom's blind, the neighbor's blind, three women on the street are blind, everybody in the center is blind. He goes to meet the the one guy, and he's blind. I mean, it was just on and on and on. I was like, how many of these people live on this block? This is really... A hardcore, and then I tried to start rationalizing it. Well, maybe in England they have centers of the city that are put together specifically to house. The, the, you know, that way all the the services are in one area, and they don't have as far to well, travel. And somebody, I, I really somebody, went into
1: that. Somebody brings that up. Yeah, that that when all they're the to flats, replace the locks. Yeah, yeah, all of the flats are in that one area, and you presume. Again, presumption, but you presume that they all are living in there because it's in pro- close proximity to the center.
0: Right. So that's that's where I kind of had to go with that. But that was the first thing that that just felt odd to me. That, 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 that there's something not right here. I agree. And then we get multiple slasher suspects. It could be the, the, window, washer. the window washer, who's creepy and, and whistling three blind mice. It could be the you know this character. It could be the uh, David Thewlis, the,
1: the guy in the graveyard that yeah
0: is creeping around. Um, and then, you know, it could be his dad based on the lighter. Yeah. It could be this. And then we get to Paul McGann, who, no, nah, it's not Paul McGann. He's, look at these photographers. He's great. He's, oh, have you ever thought about posing nude? Oh, maybe you're not such a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're an artist. I'm going to allow it until it gets creepy. Oh, it got creepy. Okay. So okay. <laughs> so we we go through all of this stuff and there was so much of, and again, they did it to establish the neighborhood. We, we it was it was all done specifically because we, we we established that the house is next to the cemetery, which is next to the, this, which is next to the railroad tracks, which is across the hill from here, and he can get back to the, the neighborhood through the. Okay, so we we go through that whole you know walk, and the kid himself is creepy because he's spying on people.
1: Oh, well, he's a klepto too in the first part. And, of the And then he's a
0: klepto, mm-hmm. and he's he's taking things from people uh who who aren't home and then using that to spy on other people. I mean he he he's just kind of a creeper through through the majority of his him. And so we're supposed to be thinking that well okay he's going to witness this this slash and or he's going to, you know, prevent it from happening something. And he doesn't really. He just kind of follows the blind people around and he's he's creeping them out and, and adding to that sense of unease. Then the reveal comes that this has all been within his head switch right off you know right in the middle part of the movie and then we see where all those elements came from we see the lighter we see the knitting needles we see the photography we see the all of the pieces of his fantasy that were in the first part are established as uh, uh, assumable real things in in the second part it's like oh okay i see where you're going with this but it just wasn't interesting enough to really add up to a, a satisfactory answer for why he was you know, fantasizing about all the stuff because you you would think that we are all the we're, we're always the hero of our own story, and so you, uh, you, it, it it should feel like he was setting it up to be the hero that he was going to stop the slasher, but he does, and, well, yeah, and he does kind of. No, he does, and he, and I don't even think it's so much
1: stopping the slasher, but it's he's a hero because in both cases, he's protecting his sister. It, it, we don't know that it's his sister in the first part of this.
0: We, okay, that's true. I didn't think of that. Yeah,
1: Because because it is her that's being attacked by McGann's character when he charges in with the knitting needle and stabs him in the eye. We find out later that it is his sister, or half-sister, and then he in turn ends up protecting the younger sibling, the baby that comes home at the end. So I like the parallels that we had there. at At each time in this, he is... The delusional hero. <laughs> but he is the hero in, in this story. Okay, so that, that fixes it, that it, a little it's, bit it's, for But me. you're right. You don't get enough build-up to either one of those to pay off the heroic uh, uh, efforts that he makes. So, yes, I agree with you. But, yeah, he is certainly the hero of this story. Twice.
0: And then the the... The second half leading with the fact that, oh, he's the one that's going blind, which is why he's obsessed with this. All right, now, I don't know about you guys. I I, I, I presume I went through it. Every kid, I think, goes through that phase where they wonder what it would be like to have a disability. <coughs> you close your eyes, you wander around the room as if you were a blind person until you crash into a piece of furniture and stub your toe, and then you're done with it. That's that's how that phase went for me. Well, At no point in time would I have ever... Considered removing every light bulb in the house, the, and piling them up in a bassinet.
1: But I, I don't think we can simplify it because I think he has a he because has he a, was actually going blind. A, he has a behavioral health problem too. It's, yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't believe in one moment that the that the fact that he w- was losing his eyesight drove him crazy, drove him to these delusions. No. I think it was an added benefit. But I think he he must he has a mental. Uh, challenge he has a a a mental illness of some sort that is manifesting itself because of his condition so i i, I can't uh, i mean i know you're not intentionally doing it but i can't play light with that because i think it's it's there's more there than than maybe maybe even the movie portrays yeah
0: well i mean definitely the 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 fascination with the, the needle knowing that he's going in for an operation that they're going to work on his life. okay I, I get the parallel well, it with what you're doing starts the movie with there. him tapping the glasses yeah. with the needle yeah. and then you know so as the second half progressed it was like it was almost predictable cuz it's like well they're setting this up he's going to kill the dog that's where they're going with this and then they did and i was like ah oh. and then the baby comes home and it's like Oh, God, please tell me you're not going there with it. <laughs> right. That he's going to wind up threatening this kid. And he kept picking that needle back up and hiding it around. I was like, oh, man. I'm... And again, that added to that sense of unease and, and, and uh, just, I can't quite say <laughs> abject terror, but it was definitely there. But I think the biggest falling down that this movie's got afraid of the dark. Really? Yeah, it's a the, terrible the, the, title. The, that, that has zero to do with it. You have a kid who is is obsessed with these knitting needles, who stabs people in the eye all the time. The, the Paul McGann gets it, the dog gets it, et cetera. Through, through the whole movie, tapping himself on the list, and you didn't call this eye of the needle? Yeah. Really? That was that would <laughs> Just... I'm I'm f- beyond Any, flabbergasted. Would than by this. Of the dark.
1: Well, I, I'd, again, I'm going to defend the title slightly because I agree it's not the best title. It it, it probably could have been something more clever like "I of the Needle" or something to that effect. However, I mean it. It's a simply stated title for the film "Afraid of the Dark." We're not talking about the material darkness of the surrounding us and turning lights off. This kid believes. That he will be plunged in eternal darkness once mm, he loses yeah. his eyesight. So, the there is a fear leading up to the fact because he he from the the center point on where we we get out of his head a little bit of everybody else being blind. Um, he, it's very clear that he is afraid of this impending surgery, and he's also very afraid that his his uh, ocular condition is getting worse, progressively getting worse, and so there is concerns from him that he is going to end up being blind, which is obviously why it's manifesting on the, on the, on the outside. And he's been projecting that onto others because so afraid of the dark is a little, almost too on point for my pin in my opinion for this film, because it's, it's almost like they're trying to do a double meaning for the, this and it doesn't quite land. See, so yeah, I, no, I would have,
0: I, I I don't know that I buy that because of he's projecting this on other people. But if 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 it's the the fear of being plunged into eternal darkness, which I get, I mean I, that's that's a, that's a scary thought. The idea of that, especially at a kid's age, they had so many opportunities to really drive that point home or showcase it. The tunnel, you know, you could have done all kinds of things with him walking through a railroad tunnel. And he's so blasé about it. It doesn't phase him at all. Now, admittedly, that scene is in the first half when he's in the delusional La La Land. So who knows, you know, what... But he's the...
1: also not afraid of that dark.
0: Right, but what But what I'm saying is you could have gone there. Because if, you're, if your end goal is, I don't want to be plunged into darkness, I would think you would be avoiding dark places. That you would already have... A, a fear of the dark that you would you would have these things that you don't want to to go into there, and they never once played on that, they never once went that direction with it, and so In fact, he
2: was almost embracing the darkness, yeah I
0: mean, it, by removing all the lights. and, and that is
1: exactly why I don't think that they would have gone that direction with it because it does as Keith just now eloquently said he is embracing it, and I think he's embracing it because. It's almost a, in his mind, a preparation for it. He's, the, number one, he is seeing from the, with when looking at people and seeing them blind, he's looking from the outside to experience it, what others, what it would be for others to be blind. So he wants to see what the struggles a blind person would go through. And that's why he's projecting onto these other people. That's why he has these delusions, because he's trying to imagine what are the struggles for a blind person? Without him putting himself in the shoes, he puts others in those shoes so he as an observer can see the struggles and difficulties and what what what, what it would entail. Also then, in order to, as a preparation method, I think that's why he's, he's continually going out at night. He's not afraid of going in, the, in the, the graveyard. He goes through the tunnel. He takes all the light bulbs out. He, he goes through all of these different things because I think he's, mentally preparing himself for the ultimate well is this going to be so bad is this can can i deal with this and so i think that's where the second part of this comes from is the fact that he's he's kind of while he's very afraid of it happening he's also maybe subconsciously preparing himself for it so i think that's why you couldn't go that way Hmm. i don't know i'm trying to give this movie more credit than it's probably too again i think maybe talking this through is my exploration of how i felt about the film because as i said i'm still left with kind of this numbness of like i'm not quite sure what to think of this movie
0: well, i definitely agree with you there and i it, it's one that I, I i told you guys i needed a little bit longer to process it because i'm still i'm still, still you, thinking about it so you,
1: when you texted that the other day i thought yeah i'm still trying to process myself but <laughs>
0: But the point of it is that Paul McGann is great, as usual. And, um,
1: (laughs) you know, he doesn't, and he doesn't, but he doesn't have a lot to do in this. I I mean, when he he is on screen, he's very good. But, you know, that was, that was kind of the theme this week. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) all of our doctors on film this week did get a lot to do in the, um, still, all of them had more time than Sylvester McCoy and Dracula. That's very true.
0: (laughs) I, I think, um, this was probably the weakest collection of the of the spooky time movies, mm-hmm. uh, whether they were spooky or otherwise, um, th- that we had for this particular run. It was in a way, it's kind of a, an unfortunate way to end this is because we are fizzled well, out. the, the <laughs> Odd with a whimper.
1: The odds were stacked against it when we added th- uh, three film this week, so three films this week. So, although I enjoyed madame tussauds you guys enjoyed uh i monster and i think we all kind of landed on not sure what to think about yeah <laughs> <of> the dark <laughs> all right sean what do we got coming on the schedule
0: well we have a change in the schedule <coughs> um ooh, where did my i thought i had it marked uh we uh do not wind up uh having access as we thought we did to uh, the book that we were supposed to review next week. Uh, So we're going to bump that. We're going to come back to that one. So instead of uh, doing the book review on the Pirate Planet, we're just going to go ahead and plunge forward with uh, what would have been the following week, which is uh, Titan Comics Torchwood Volume 3 and the Big Finish Torchwood story Forgotten Lives. So we'll return to the world of Torchwood and then continue on into uh, our uh, Big Finish Celebration of their 20th anniversary by dumping into the Gallifrey series. Uh, So we're going to break that first season up into two episodes. We'll do Weapon of Choice and Square One the first time out and then the Inquiry and a Blind Eye in the second batch and then our look at uh, the Macro Terra I believe is still on for uh, us to have the animation that we can review uh, after that. But I will get an updated schedule posted. I kind of fell down on the job this week uh, because I was in the dark. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, uh, dealing with knitting needles. so, But uh, that's kind of where we're going. So if you do follow along at home, you can just bypass uh, Pirate Planet and go to the next one on the list.
1: And be sure to check out our website for those updates, com. While you're there, be sure to click on our patron link and consider supporting us. And remember, you can send comments to feedback at com. Or on the Send Feedback link by clicking on there. Until next time, I'm Glenn.
0: I'm Sean. I'm
1: Keith. Cheers.
0: Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. And thanks for listening. You have
1: been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.